This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as the senior pastor of Cornerstone Church. So much for being with us today. Thanks for coming and participating in this Lord's Day celebration. We are walking through the Psalter, the book of Psalms, studying different Psalms this summer. We call it our Summer Psalm Series, and today we're going to be in Psalm 91, Psalm 91. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, if you'll raise your hand, our ushers will give you a free copy of the Bible, but you have to leave your hand up just for a minute and they'll get it to you. And everyone, please turn to Psalm 91, Psalm kind of right in the middle of the of the Bible and go to number 91. Last, last week we talked about personal sin. This week it's the promises of God. You're going to be happy today. This is an amazing psalm. It is true. It is filled with God's promises. Sit back and receive and believe. Psalm 91, verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways on their hands. They will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. Verse 14. Notice this is the Lord now speaking. Because he holds fast to me in love, 
I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Praise the Lord. <laughs> he is good. We've talked a lot about the exceptions we experience in this life in our studies of Job and Ecclesiastes. Psalm 91 is the norm. It's the way it often is, the way it should be, and the way it will always be one day. Psalm 91 makes us ask ourselves, who do you trust? What do I trust in? What am I counting on? Who's making promises to me? What is making promises to me? What am I hoping is true? Do I feel safe? And if so, why? Am I afraid? Psalm 91 is calling us to put our hope in the Lord, to count on Him, to trust in His promises. The famous and greatly loved 19th century Baptist pastor Charles Spurgeon loved the Psalms. He did a commentary on the Psalms. He called the treasury of David because he thought the Psalms were a great treasure given to us by God. He became a pastor at the largest church in London, the New Park Street Chapel, at the age of 19 in 1854. The chapel was in the Southwark neighborhood of London, which was one of the worst hit areas of London when an epidemic of Asiatic cholera came to London in 1854, the same year that Spurgeon, at 19 years old, became the pastor. The outbreak that year was said to be the most terrible outbreak of cholera which ever occurred in all of the United Kingdom. I read about it in studies of medical history and looked it up. And at the time, they, they didn't know what spread cholera. They, they thought it was airborne. They didn't know that it was spread by contaminated water. And London was built over a literal cesspool. And eventually, this cesspool made its way into the drinking water. The outbreak was sudden and violent. Few families, whether they were rich or poor, escaped. All who could flee fled. Only those who couldn't afford to leave remained. And for this 19-year-old new pastor, Psalm 91 was treasure indeed. Here is what he wrote in his commentary on verses 9 and 10 of this psalm. Before expounding these verses, I can't refrain from recording a personal incident illustrating their power to soothe the heart when they are applied by the Holy Spirit. In the year 1854, when I had scarcely been in London 12 months, the neighborhood in which I labored was visited by Asiatic cholera, and my congregation suffered from its inroads. Family after family summoned me to the bedside of the smitten, and almost every day I was called to visit the grave. I gave myself up 
with youthful ardor to the visitation of the sick and was sent forth from all corners of the district by persons of all ranks and religions. I became weary in body and sick at heart. My friends seemed falling one by one, and I felt or fancied, I imagined, that I was sickening like those around me. You, you, you know what it's like when there's a stomach virus in the house. You fancy, I've got it too. A little more work and weeping would have laid me low among the rest. I felt that my burden was heavier than I could bear and I was ready to sink under it. As God would have it, I was returning mournfully home from a funeral when my curiosity led me to read a paper which was wafered up in a shoemaker's window in the Dover Road. It didn't look like a trade announcement, nor was it, for it bore in good, bold handwriting these words. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. The effect on my heart was immediate. Faith appropriated the passage as her own. I felt secure, refreshed, girt with immortality. I went on with my visitation of the dying in a calm and peaceful spirit. I felt no fear of evil, and I suffered no harm. The providence which moved the tradesman to place those verses in his window, I gratefully acknowledge. And in the remembrance of its marvelous power, I adore the Lord my God. Now that's what I hope is going to happen to each and every one of us today as we look at Psalm 91. Jewish commentators would credit a psalm that didn't have the author listed in the title to the author of the previous psalm that named an author. So in this case, Psalm 91 doesn't list an author in the title. And so since Moses wrote Psalm 90, they would credit this psalm to Moses. Today we will unpack this song that may have been authored by Moses, and it does seem to fit in some ways by studying what is written about, number one, God's promises to those who trust Him. Number two, the God in whom we trust. And, and number three, the people who trust in God. And our, our main point, I think the intended effect God wants Psalm 91 to have on us today is that we might trust the promises of God for a safe and peaceful life. Trust the promises of God for a safe and peaceful life. First, what Psalm 91 says about God's promises to those who trust Him. In Psalm 91, we learn God makes promises. This is God's holy, inspired, inerrant Word, and it's just full of promises. So don't let your mind wander. Just say, Amen. I'll take it. He promises to deliver you, protect you, answer you, be with you in trouble, rescue you, honor you. Take it. Say amen and receive it 
by faith. Note verses 3 and 4. He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. He will keep you from being deceived, from being ensnared by deception. We're like poor little birds. We have a tendency to be deceived and lured onto the wrong path and led away from truth and wisdom. Get, go down the wrong path and get ensnared. We are justified, but we are justified sinners and we are vulnerable. We have cunning foes. They hate us. They want to ensnare us. But this is a promise that those who dwell near God, those who have the great treasure of fellowship with God in Christ, who enjoy communion with Him, they are safe. He will deliver us. He will prevent the most skillful deceiver from capturing us. He will cover you with His pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. Spurgeon wrote that if this was written by an uninspired man, you would think it verged on blasphemy. It's talking about God's feathers. But it's the Lord himself in his inspired word that's talking about his feathers. It's a picture of God's love for his people. A matchless love. It's, it's a promise not just to care for you, but to do so tenderly. It's, it's a picture that's meant to, to woo us. It's, it's meant to encourage us. The, the Lord protects our souls like a mother bird. We can hide under Him for comfort and safety. Nothing can harm us when we do. He speaks of his faithfulness, and we'll talk more about this in a minute. His faithfulness, his promises are true, and he is faithful. And it means we're, we're shielded. He is, his faithfulness is a buckler. That's, a, that's armor. It's full body armor, Kevlar from head to toe. His faithfulness is a shield. It blocks every arrow. His truth protects us. Regardless of, of what the danger is, we are safe. Verses 5 and 6. You'll not fear. You will not fear. You will not fear the terror of the night. Wouldn't that be nice? Nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. We are, we are fragile. We're in danger day and night. And we're easily afraid, aren't we? Sometimes when everything is peaceful and safe, our fears will even make those seasons dreadful, won't they? But our communion with God brings us a peace. This is a promise of peace. that delivers us from our fears. What a blessing to not be afraid. 
every time, for every time that we have an actual something happen to us, an injury, any time we're harmed, for every time that, that we are harmed, there's a thousand times that we are harmed by our fears. But the shadow of the Almighty removes fear. There, there are terrorists who, who want to destroy us. They want to scare us. They want to promote terror and fear. There are crazy dictators who are launching intercontinental ballistic missiles and they're trying to threaten us. It's a scary world. But Psalm 91 says, no weapon formed against us will prosper. There's no arrow that can destroy the righteous. And this includes false teachings, false doctrines, sudden temptations we face. We're protected. Spurgeon lived in London during a time when, when plagues would ravage cities. Can you imagine how terrifying that would be? Yet he says that those who dwell in God are not afraid, even, even though no one can promise that they won't be infected, but they're not afraid. He says this, it enters a house, men know not how, and its very breath is mortal. Yet those choice souls who dwell in God shall live above fear in the most plague-stricken places. It's a blessing. Famine, war, earthquakes, storms. The person in communion with God is promised safety, sheltered beneath the wings. Days and nights of terror and fright, they're for other people. God's people are with God, living in peace, living in quiet. It doesn't depend, his peace and quiet doesn't depend on what's going on, on the, on the season we're in. The Lord says, don't fear. And he promises safety to those who are dwelling in his shadow. Verse 7, a thousand may fall at your side. Can you imagine what that would be like? That's what Spurgeon was experiencing in London. A thousand may fall at your side. Ten thousand at your right hand but it will not come near you. This psalm is promising the one who communes with God, they won't be affected. It won't come near them. If the fire burns all around them, they won't even smell of smoke. This is a promise that you won't backslide, that you won't be immoral, that you won't give in to false teaching and false doctrine. The one close to God remains unmovable because the Lord protects them. Verse 8, you will only look with your eyes and you'll see in the midst of God's judgment, you'll see the wicked judged, but it won't come near you. This is the norm. The Lord distinguishes between Israel and Egypt when the judgments of God come. We'll see the wicked perish. And we'll recognize the justice of God. And you'll see believers escape and we'll see His goodness and His grace. If we watch the providence of God, we'll find that this verse will ring true. There is a God who rules 
And sooner or later, rewards the ungodly with their due punishment. And his people remain secure. Verse 9 and 10. Because you've made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. When you make God your refuge, He is a refuge. He rewards your faith. Even if you live in a tent, it'll be sufficient. A tent. When you choose to trust Him, you'll be protected in a tent. No evil will touch you. That's the promise. That's what Psalm 91 is saying. It's not because we're perfect. It's not because we're important. It's because our refuge is Almighty God, and by faith we hide beneath His wings. Jerry Bridges says this about the promises of God. The fact is, of course, God is gracious and generous to all who are His children. The Bible is full of God's promises to provide for us spiritually and materially, to never forsake us, to give us peace in times of difficult circumstances, to cause all circumstances to work together for our good, and finally, to bring us safely home to glory. Not one of those promises is dependent upon our performances. They are all dependent on the grace of God given to us through Jesus Christ. That's what this psalm is looking ahead to the cross we sang about so much this morning. All the promises of God are yes. All the promises of God are amen in our Savior, Jesus Christ. John Calvin says this, all God's promises depend on Christ alone. This is a notable assertion and one of the main articles of our faith. It depends in turn upon another principle that is only in Christ that God the Father is graciously inclined toward us. His promises are the testimonies of His fatherly goodwill towards us. Thus it follows that they are fulfilled only in Christ. We are incapable of possessing God's promises until we have received the remission of our sins. And that comes to us through Christ. That's how Jake led us this morning, confessing our sins. And then we're forgiven in Jesus Christ. And then the promises of God are secured for us. It, it's impossible that anything finally bad should happen to you because of Christ. Adversity is not adversity, just, just good in, in a mysterious form. Losses enrich the one who abides in the Lord. Sickness is medicine. Reproach is honor. Death is is gain. No evil in the strict sense of the word can happen to you. Everything is overruled for good. Verse 11 
He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Stub your toe. You will tread on the lion and, the, and a snake. Now, we're not going to bring the snakes in today and practice that publicly. But that's the promise. The young lion and the serpent, you will trample underfoot. Listen, you don't have one guardian angel. Clarence is wrong on so many different levels in It's a Wonderful Life. So many levels. What a, what a sorry job they did with, with angel theology in that movie. It's a great movie, and I love it, but it's just wrong. Clarence isn't an angel. He, he, he was a man and a sorry man. Those who draw near to the Lord have more than one angel, according to Psalm 91. We have an entourage of angels, God's angels. They are your bodyguards to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up so you don't stub your toes. No minor bobos. Men and women who live close to God, they're the real superheroes. That's what the, the disciples discover. Remember when they said, Lord, even the devils are subject to us through your word. They were amazed at the power of God. Number two, the second thing we look at in Psalm 91 says what it says about the God in whom we trust. It, it begins in verse 4 about His faithfulness. It's a shield. It's a buckler. It is God Himself. He sends His angels, but God Himself protects us. His faithfulness means full body armor. God is faithful. Faithfulness is important in a person. If they're making promises to us, and, and we are counting on them. It's, it's critical. A promise that comes from someone who isn't faithful isn't, isn't of much value. You, you can't count on it. You can't depend on it. Faithfulness is a communicable attribute, theologians call it. That means that people sometimes are faithful, like God himself they are faithful. Not always, not everyone is faithful, but everyone could be faithful. There can be people who share this attribute with God. We know, we can say of some friends, she is faithful. She's a shield. But God and his attributes are tr transcendent. They're all surpassing. In all his attributes, his characteristics, it surpasses anyone you've ever met or anyone you've ever known. His faithfulness is greater than anyone's faithfulness. He is more faithful. You can't imagine how faithful he is. Think about the most faithful person you know. In my life, that would be my wife, Sherry. She is faithful. I count on her. If she says She's going to do something. She will do it. She will go beyond what I expect. She'll be faithful to do things I forgot to do. I need them done, but I forgot about them. She is so faithful, she does those too. 
I've never met anyone more faithful than her. I depend on her. She is my shield. She is a shield. She is my armor. One example is I, I have a 100-pound, 20-month-old Labrador retriever that Sherry has a love-hate relationship with. She loves me, and I love my dog, so she loves my dog. She isn't a dog person. She keeps our house clean, and he is a hair factory. So she hates his dog hair. She, he will put anything on this planet in his mouth. The more wretched, the better, and she hates being licked in the face by him. Go figure. He just loves her too much. But she is even faithful to care for him, to feed him, to give him water, to ask about his needs. She isn't a dog person. She isn't a cat person. She's a grandchild person. She's a mother. She likes human beings. She's a human being person. But I can count on her. She is faithful with my dog. She's the most faithful person I know, but she falls far short of the Lord Almighty. He is omniscient, all-knowing. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is love in a way no person can compare to. No one compares to his faithfulness. His attributes are all surpassing. He is transcendent. He's above all others. He's more faithful than Sherry. Verse 1, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Notice how the psalmist refers to God in these verses. Most high. It's a title for God that cuts every threat against us down to size, doesn't it? He's above all. He's sovereign. He's the king. He rules. He isn't just your royal highness. He is your most royal highness. Highness. He is most high. He is almighty. This is the name God revealed to the patriarchs of the Jewish people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to sustain them throughout their lives in the challenges that they would face. The Lord wanted them to know he is almighty. He has all power. They can trust him. Because no one can thwart his purposes. What he wants to do, he does. He is almighty. Nothing's too difficult for him. Nothing's impossible for him to do. He is omnipotent. No one else can say this. The devil is not almighty. The Lord, psalmist refers to him as the Lord. This is the covenant name of God that he revealed to Moses. This is a name that means I am your God and you are my people. We have a covenant. I am Yahweh, the Lord. This is my name. This is for you alone. This is for my covenant people. 
I have an agreement with you. I never forsake my covenants. I am faithful. God revealed himself to Moses and said, I am with you. He is the Lord. He is almighty. He is the most high. And he is with his people. He has a covenant with us, an agreement, a contract. And he's faithful and he's powerful. And the psalmist says, by faith now, as he thinks about that, he is my God. It's, a, it's, it's personal. It's, it's a relationship. It's intimate. It's the great treasure of the kingdom because of Christ. Fellowship with God in Christ. We can trust him. That's what Psalm 91 says about God. Finally, what... What's it say about the people who trust in God? Psalm 91, the psalmist is talking about, notice this, people who have a close fellowship with God. These people trust his promises because they're close to him. They know him. They know his attributes. Verse 1, he who dwells, lives in the shelter of the Most High, will abide. He abides. He lives there in the shadow of the Almighty. These promises are not for all believers. These promises are made to those believers who live in close fellowship with God, who draw near to God, which we're regularly encouraged to do in the New Testament. Believers who draw near to God Every believer doesn't abide with him like this. Some drift. They don't dwell in that most holy place. They're not abiding with him. Psalm 91 says this about the people who trust in God. These these promises are for those who draw near to God in Christ. They abide in Christ. They abide in the vine. And they get these benefits. They don't drift away. They don't grieve the Spirit. These are promises for those who know the love of God in Christ. For them to live as Christ and to die as gain. That's who these promises are for. He will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. God will shield those who are close to Him. Those who come into His presence, who dwell in this shelter. There's, there's this constant protection. Communion with God is safety. The more closely we, we cling to Him, the safer we are. I will say to the Lord, verse 2, my refuge, my fortress. This is, this is where the payoff is. We make it our own. It's not just he is a refuge. He is a fortress. He is my refuge. That's faith like Spurgeon when he's walking through London and he sees those verses. Faith grabbed it, appropriated it, took possession of it. The grace of God. He's my refuge. That's what we want to do this morning. He is my fortress. 
That's how people who believe speak. They say, he is my refuge, he is my fortress. You know, we, we live in a world where people love to talk about their doubts. They love to cast suspicion on everything. Anything solid, anything sacred is under attack. Casting doubt, suspicion on everything. But we're, we're people who believe. We're doing exactly the opposite. We're, we're confessing. He is my refuge. He is faithful. He is my God. He is almighty. I believe. He's my fortress. And we should say this because he's, he's been faithful. Hasn't he been faithful? He's proven his word true. His word is self-authenticating. We found it true. We believe. And then we've seen him be faithful. He has been faithful. A, a safe fortress. The only fortress that is completely safe. He is completely safe. You may have gone to, to see the movie Dunkirk. If you did, you may have picked up on kind of a, a situation in World War II that was going on as they were developing airplanes. It's really a cool thing to consider how they would they would have these bombers trying to go places to bomb so in Dunkirk there's a dive bomber trying to sink the ships the men are trying to get on and then there's fighter planes trying to shoot down the bombers and I've always found this fascinating in World War II the Americans had the same issues and they were trying to develop bombers that could bomb Germany obviously and they developed the B-17, which I have a special affection for. My dad was a ground crew member on a B-17 in World War II, and I've read all about it. And they, they, they developed this incredible bomber that at the time was just a masterpiece. It had four 1,200-horsepower engines. It could carry 4,000 pounds of bombs. It could fly 250 miles per hour. It could travel 800 miles. It was just a fearsome war machine. It had 12 50 caliber Browning machine guns on it. It was called the Flying Fortress, but it had a vulnerability, and the German fighter pilots figured it out. It didn't have protection at the nose it just had some of them only had one little 30 caliber gun in the nose so what these fighter pilots german fighter pilots would do is they'd fly along the side to terrorize the bomber guys they could see out the windows they could see these fighter pilots waving at them like we're going to shoot you down in a few minutes and then they would fly out in front of them about a mile and then come right at them and because they knew once they got to a certain point in front of them, they could kill the pilots and they could shoot the plane down. The Flying Fortress. It was an incredible plane. It was an incredible fortress, but it had one vulnerability. And they found out what it was and they shot it down. 
You will never say this of the Lord. There are no vulnerabilities. It's the only safe place. Every other fortress has a vulnerability. Every other fortress will let you down eventually. Your enemies, the enemy, will find it. And we say, though, we say the Lord is our refuge and our fortress. We flee to Him. All of God's creatures have a refuge. Everybody has a refuge they run to. We flee to the Lord and we are safe and we rejoice. Nothing can make us more secure than being surrounded by the attributes of God. No stealth bomber, no intercontinental missile, no battleship, no home security system, no firearm. The Lord is for us more than all of these. Our, our fortress protects us from natural and supernatural evil. Fear not stranger things. They're no match for the Lord, the one we trust in. I want to close with a, a guy that actually preached for Charles Spurgeon. His name was George Mueller. You may have heard of him. He was actually a German guy. And he is known around the world, both in his own lifetime and still today, for his orphan ministry. He built five large orphan houses and cared for some 10,000 orphans in his life. When he started, there were 3,600 orphans in all of England that were being cared for, only 3,600 and twice that many children were under eight were in prison. But by the time he died, he built five orphan houses that cared for over 10,000 orphans. And one of the greatest things that he did was inspire others so that 50 years after he died, 100,000 orphans were being cared for in England alone. He prayed in millions of dollars for the orphans. He never asked anyone directly for money. He never took a salary in the last 68 years of his ministry. He trusted God to put into people's hearts to send him what he needed. He never took out a loan. He never went into debt. And neither he nor his orphans were ever hungry. People would say, you have a gift of faith. And that would get him riled up. He did not believe he had a gift of faith. You know, the main reason that he did the orphan houses, it was not for the orphans. He cared about the orphans. It was a reason he did it. He did want to help them, but that was not the main reason. This is why he got so upset when people said he had a gift of faith. What he wanted to do was encourage Christians that God could really be trusted to meet their needs. That's the number one reason. That's why he was so passionate for orphan ministry. His reason was that God may be glorified should he be pleased to furnish me with the means in its being seen that it is not a vain thing to trust in him and that thus the faith of his children may be strengthened. The orphan houses exist 
to display that God can be trusted and to encourage believers to take Him at His word. That was His calling. I believe the Lord is calling us this morning to trust Him. To trust in His promises that we see in Psalm 91. May by the grace of God, even today, may we enjoy the, the faith May, may the Lord impart faith to us that He is my God in whom I trust. He is my refuge. He is my fortress. And we can trust in Him. Father, I pray that You would fill us with Your Spirit this morning and help us believe and trust in You alone. Lord, I pray especially for those in here today who are anxious and fearful. Lord, I pray that they would be comforted as we celebrate today the promises that you make to your people that you love so much that you gave your only begotten Son for. May we celebrate today and rejoice as we rest in the shadow of your wings. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to a message by Bill Kittrell given during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us on the web at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in celebrating God's grace and pursuing God's purpose.